Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the 33rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Grant us, we pray, O Lord our God, the constant gladness of being devoted to you. For it is full and lasting happiness to serve with constancy the author of all that is good. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Daniel. At that time, Michael will stand up, the great prince who mounts guard over your people. There is going to be a time of great distress, unparalleled since nations first came into existence. When that time comes, your own people will be spared, all those whose names are found written in the book. Of those who lie sleeping in the dust of the earth, many will wake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting disgrace. The learned will shine as brightly as the vault of heaven, and those who have instructed many in virtue, as bright as stars for all eternity. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Keep me safe, O God, you are my hope. Keep me safe, O God, you are my hope. O Lord, it is you who are my portion and cup. It is you yourself who are my prize. I keep the Lord ever in my sight. Since he is at my right hand, I shall stand firm. Keep me safe, O God, you are my hope. And so my heart rejoices, my soul is glad. Even my body shall rest in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead nor let your beloved know decay. Keep me safe, O God, you are my hope. You will show me the path of life, the fullness of joy in your presence, at your right hand happiness forever. Keep me safe, O God, you are my hope. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. All the priests stand at their duties every day, offering over and over again the same sacrifices which are quite incapable of taking sins away. He, on the other hand, has offered one single sacrifice for sins, and then taken his place forever at the right hand of God, where he is now waiting until his enemies are made into a footstool for him. By virtue of that one single offering, he has achieved the eternal perfection of all whom he is sanctifying. When all sins have been forgiven, there can be no more sin offerings. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Be watchful and pray constantly that you may be worthy to stand before the Son of Man. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, In those days, after the time of distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will lose its brightness, 
The stars will come falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then, too, he will send the angels to gather his chosen from the four winds, from the ends of the world to the ends of heaven. Take the fig tree as a parable. As soon as its twigs grow supple and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. So with you. When you see these things happening, know that he is near. At the very gates. I tell you solemnly, before this generation has passed away, all these things will have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But as for that day or hour, nobody knows it. Neither the angels of heaven, nor the Son. No one but the Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard not to miss it, but there's been a dramatic shift in the tone of the readings from last Sunday to today. Last week we were hearing about the widow who threw two small coins into the temple treasury. We heard about the widow of Zarephath in the first reading, the one who gave the last of her bread to the prophet Elijah. Now, they're beautiful and challenging stories that spur us on to love ever more deeply and to make a more sincere gift of ourselves each day. But today, the readings take a bit more of a disturbing turn. As we reach the end of the liturgical year, we're 33rd week, Christ the King next week. Well, now we start to hear about this tremendous battle between good and evil, uh, and it plays out in history. There's going to be a time of great distress, says the book of Daniel, unparalleled since the nations first came into existence. And in the gospel today, Jesus speaks of a great distress that will overcome the world. There will be times of great suffering. We hear that the sun will be darkened, the moon lose its brightness, stars come falling out of heaven, and the powers in the heavens be shaken. I suppose we're not terribly accustomed to hearing these kinds of words from Jesus. You know, we prefer him to speak about peace. We'd rather him tell us stories about generous widows. But at the same time, we need to face up to the reality that the scriptures also show us that in the midst of the world, there's unfolding a tremendous battle between the forces of good and evil. If you read the book of Daniel, there are some truly frightening images as beasts with many heads and horns rise up out of the sea that devour the earth and shatter it to pieces. These forces of evil, they dominate, they terrorize. They destroy the order that God has created in the world. And each time one beast is defeated, another more terrifying creature rises up. Now, I don't need to tell you that this apocalyptic language is highly symbolic. And the plain meaning of these texts isn't easily accessible or understood. But one central feature of this kind of apocalyptic language is that Though these creatures have a real and devastating impact on the world, God is always victorious. God's almighty. And at the last, his power puts down evil. 
The prophet Daniel tells us that the archangel Michael will stand up and mount guard over God's people. And in the gospel, Christ teaches us that his second coming is the moment when he will deal definitively with evil. After the time of distress, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great glory. Now, we might wish to ignore these apocalyptic elements of the scriptures, preferring to take refuge in the more tender and mild moments of Jesus in the Gospels. But though they're symbolic and written in a difficult-to-understand style, these apocalyptic texts are seeking to encourage people as they suffer the ravages of evil and to give the assurance that no matter how destructive these beasts may be, God is still more powerful and will own the final victory. We cannot separate Jesus of Nazareth from this tremendous battle because in fact he's the linchpin. When we stand back and look at the gospel in its entirety, we can start to see Christ's mission as a warrior. C.S. Lewis, the great English author, makes the point that at the very beginning of the gospels, in a little village called Bethlehem, the Son of God parachutes in behind enemy lines. He grows up in secrecy, training, learning, studying, praying. And as he begins his public ministry, the forces of evil start to take notice of this Jesus of Nazareth. We know who you are, say the demoniacs. Have you come here to destroy us? Unwilling to take this lying down, the dark forces start to do battle with Jesus. But his intentions are clear. The warrior king will not shrink away from the fight. The full weight of evil is brought to bear on Jesus of Nazareth. The full weight of hatred, envy, pride, betrayal, greed, wrath, they're all laid on Jesus and he's crushed by the weight of the cross. But as we all know, evil couldn't defeat Jesus of Nazareth. The tomb couldn't hold him captive. And Jesus wins the definitive victory over evil. So often Christ was tempted to abandon the will of his father. In the desert, the devil tempted Jesus three times to leave God's path. When he heard that Jesus was going to suffer grievously, Simon Peter, he himself tempts Jesus, abandon the path of the father. Lord, this mustn't happen to you, he says. But what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. On Good Friday itself, the crowd taunt Jesus, come down from the cross if you really are the Christ. No, Jesus remains faithful, obedient even unto death, death on a cross. Parachuting behind enemy lines, Jesus appears to fall in the battle as evil swarms around him on every side. But in the most stunning victories... Jesus enters into death, he enters into evil, and he shatters it from the inside. Christ deals the definitive blow by entering into the tomb and bursting forth. And the irony is that evil sought to defeat Jesus by making him suffer death. But Jesus defeats evil precisely by means of his death. 
So what Jesus teaches in the gospel today is that we're living in an in-between time. The war between good and evil has been won by Christ, but the battle is still raging. We're in a time when we're waiting for the return of the king, when he will deal definitively with evil and put an end to the battle. We're awaiting this moment, as we heard, when we will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and that he'll gather his chosen from the four winds, from the ends of the world to the ends of heaven. You know, there's a temptation for us to sentimentalise the scriptures. But it's a call to arms. And the weapon which we use to fight evil is the same which Christ used. Our weapon is faithfulness. Our weapon is fidelity. At every stage, Christ is tempted to abandon the Father. The temptations in the desert, Simon Peter, the agony in the garden, the crowds taunting him to come down from the cross. And even when Christ shouted in near despair, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus does not abandon the Father. And entering into death, he destroys evil from the inside. Our greatest weapon is fidelity. Though the victory is won, the battle still rages, and our greatest defence is to line up with the victor, with Jesus Christ, and to stare down evil, no matter where it is found. There's a strange logic in the cross. Precisely at the moment of apparent defeat, that's actually when the victory is won. And so, you know, when we go to the gospel today, we hear about all of these frightening signs in the heavens. The sun darkened, the moon losing its brightness, and stars falling out of the heavens. But we mustn't let this surprise us. Because the logic of the cross tells us that it's precisely then that God is accomplishing his victory. Just when it looks like everything's falling apart, it turns out that God is able to turn evil back on itself so that evil ultimately destroys itself. The crucifixion, the greatest evil, was the destruction of evil. And so when we're confronted by this picture of the tribulation, we mustn't fall into the temptation of thinking that well, I guess it's all falling apart. I guess it's all going wrong. No, actually, this is when God does his best work. And so Jesus teaches his disciples to look for something slightly different. The signs of Jesus' victory follow the way of the cross. And that's why after such a terrible prophecy about the most stable things in creation falling apart, the sun, the moon, the stars. Jesus reminds us that, hey, this is the moment when we look towards Jesus. The time when he looks not to be on the ropes, but in fact, he's just about to smoke them all. And so, says Jesus, when you see these things happening, it's like a fig tree. The twigs grow supple, the leaves come out, you know that summer's near. 
when you see these things happening, says Jesus, know that he is near at your very gates. Ready to snap victory from the jaws of defeat. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.